Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. Hi, Kate. Oh, okay. good. Hi, Dom. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. It's the claw. It's the claw. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Kate's got a red wine, folks. She's still technically working for like a week and a half, but she's got no more kid-facing time for yes. the rest of 2022. That's right. And by the time you listen to this, I will be on my school holes. But for this week, for me, I don't. Okay. So I'm going to just, I'm really quick sidebar. I (laughs) am, I am what is known at my work as the pest. That is because I am a cheeky motherfucker and I like to lightly tease people. I like to make jokes. I like to be fun. I like to be a pain in the ass. So I am called the pest. Now my bosses are going away for two days. So tomorrow and Thursday, so we're recording this on a Tuesday. So tomorrow and Thursday, they will not be at school. (laughs) And by the time you're listening to this, I like, I could be unemployed. We don't know because there's cameras at the school, (laughs) but We'll see. No, I'm very excited. No kid facing time. I am thrilled to be nearly on school holidays. Boy, oh boy, it's going to be great. Well Ah! done. And I'm running around, folks. I've just come from a big, important work meeting and we're trying to like multiple cameras and microphones and oh my goodness, it's just, it's such a tough life being a podcast. But anyway. It is. We've got so much going on. We are here. We are a half queer or queer ally or queer related. <laughs> That's right. And to be perfectly honest, I haven't made a choice yet. Okay. That... <laughs> I'm just cruising. Good. <laughs> Nor should you. It's fluid, folks. Yeah. Things change. Do whatever you want, everyone. Absolutely. All right. She's but had... we are here and you have got a story for us today, Dominic. I do. I believe because I haven't written one. So it would be really <laughs> awkward if right now was my turn because I would have to make up some serious shit to fill 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry, Kate. I've got you covered. We're going to skip you. right past housekeeping because there's nothing oh. new, folks. It's the same as usual. Okay. Check out our socials. Check out our Patreon. Check out Boopod Network. Love you. Boom, boom, boom. Love it. I promise boom, boom, boom. we will get back to regular housekeeping in the new year, but we just want to throw stories at you left, right, and center. Yeah, It's Christmas. It, get ready. Get your catches mitt. You're busy. Bloody wide open, baby. All right. Throw it at me. Make sure that you've, I hope you've got your Brown Scouts badge on catching. <laughs> Hang on. Can Brown Scouts be? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Two in the pink and one in the stink. One stink. Brown Scouts honour. But Liz Truss totally taught us that technique. Oh, Lizzie. <laughs> Far out. Hi, Dal. Yeah, no, I wasn't calling you. I was just, we were just talking about you. Go back to work. I don't even know what her job is anymore. <laughs> no, she, we, she's got a performance review coming up, folks. It's not going to be she done does. well. It's not going to be good. <laughs> it's not going to be good. But I would like to welcome Two in the Pink, One in the Stink to the podcast. I think it's been far too long. Happy 60th, by the way. Yes. This is our 60th episode. I was just writing that on my little thing. Uh, who would have thunk it? <laughs> Certainly not us. <laughs> but we're here. And speak, here we are. speaking of unwanted things. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like what did the stink could be? I don't want to talk be. about our childhood traumas. <laughs> But Kate, this week I am, I've got quite a little journey for us. So I want us to start with one of a fear that's totally inspired me and uh, one of my favorite ever films. So this is like a classic fear, Kate. Think about 
that you know pretty quintessential average normal everyday fear of someone breaking into your home ah uh, yeah right yeah i get that every single night i live on my own if you live on your own if you've ever been burgled before whether you're there or you're not there Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's closely tied to the fear of being alone, but then there's also that added step of, uh, imagine if someone breaks into my home, right? Yeah. So, yeah, autophobia, as in like a car, autophobia. Yeah. Or yep. Toot, toot. Mo- yeah, beep beep. Or monophobia is the fear of being alone or lonely. Now, being alone, even in a usually comforting place like your home, Kate can result in severe anxiety for people with this condition. Oh, okay. Mm. I'm here for this. So people with autophobia feel they need another person or other people around in order to feel safe. Now, even when a person with autophobia knows that they're physically safe, they may live in fear of things such as burglars, strangers, being unloved, being unwanted, coming down with a sudden medical problem, the whole, you know, choking at home and your cat eating your face. Oh, yeah. (gasps) Can I tell you my fear of being at home? Sure. And I've talked about this before, but, you know, you dress up nice, (gasps) you go out, you come home, can't reach the zip. It happened to Jane Fonda once. There was a famous Instagram post that she did where she went to the Oscars and then she took a photo of herself the next day and she was in the kitchen and all her hair and makeup was off, done, finished. She was just, you know, barefaced. Is still in her Oscars dress because she's like, I live on my own. I could not get my dress off. Yeah. What do you want from me? Yeah. <laughs> That's my fear. And all you need is a like a classic coat hanger. But if you don't know the yeah. tricks, it can be... It's, it can be tricky. It can be scory. And scored. Now, last but not least, it's also probably, Kate, one of yours and I's favorite, and I'm sure everyone listening can relate to this, being on your own and hearing unexpected or unexplained noises. Yeah. Kate, how have we never talked about this fear? This is a really great question because this is something that I literally deal with two to three times a week, if not more. And every time you hear a little sound, you are like, I know exactly what that is. It was not the wind. It was, in fact, someone pole vaulting over my fence, (laughs) going underneath the pergola, walking towards my side door and jiggling the handle. That's what all of those sounds just were. It has to be. There's no other solution. I know it's windy out, but it's not the wind. It's a pole vaulting thief. That's what it is. Russian gymnastics team. (laughs) Russian gymnastics team pole vaulting and cartwheeling their way into my backyard to steal my Billy Joel memorabilia. (laughs) Stick that landing. No. No, it is. It's a classic (laughs) tale. And it's why I can't believe we haven't talked about this. And it's why I thought this episode, we're going to do everything about strangers. I love it. A little more about autophobia, though. It is an irrational anxiety that develops when a person fears that they may end up alone. Now, while there may be not an actual threat of being alone, the person will still be unable to control their symptoms. So it's totally irrational. You know, Mm -hmm. you're never alone, Kate, but... It yep. takes over. So the, pers- the person may be unable to function normally until they no longer feel alone. And when they're alone, they may feel a desperate need to end their solitude as soon as they can. So you will pick up okay. the phone. You're like, I need to go out. I need to find someone, blah, 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 whatever. Yep. <laughs> Get on the grinds and find a little hookup. <laughs> whatever. Perfect. 10 minutes in, out, done. Or you put on a movie or TV show to keep you company. Whatever. We can all relate. Absolutely. Symptoms. Uh, A person will develop symptoms of the disorder when they get into a situation where they could end up alone. And they could include things like obsessively worrying about being alone, experiencing fears of what could happen while being alone, feeling detached from your body, uh, experiencing shaking, sweating, chest pain, dizziness, heart palpitations, hyperventilation, and nausea. Death? Is death a symptom? Sure. No. (laughs) Anxiety of death. (laughs) Yep. Perfect. We've talked about that. Yep. A desire to flee or extreme terror when you, you know, when you're alone and you don't want to be. 
So, enough about the science. I don't know if you know this movie, Kate, but the whole thing that kicked this off for me is a film which definitely makes it into at least my top 10. Not quite sure if it's top five, but it would definitely be mm-hmm. in top 10 scariest favorite horror movies of all time. And funnily enough, it is called The Strangers. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I have not seen this. I'm very excited to hear about this. You should watch we'll it. Have to watch and we'll it. have to do okay. we'll have to do a bonus episode because I think you are gonna really enjoy it from an artistic perspective, Kate. But okay. here's a little bit. Is it super spoopy? Is it real spoops? Should I not watch it at night time? Should I watch it at 9 a.m.? I would not watch it alone. Okay. Definitely do not watch what? it alone. Okay. Unless you're All me right. and you love being scared out of your fucking mind. And then. Not particularly. Yeah. Watch it alone if you love then, that feeling. Could you imagine? There's going to be like the entire Russian Olympic team on my back deck. Like it's, it's nonstop. A slight breeze. I'm going to think that all of the wrestling team are out there. It's wild. It is honestly the perfect film for that sort of a thing, but maybe not for Mm -hmm. you. So a little bit about the movie, Kate. The Strangers is a 2008 American slasher film. I don't like that name, that term. I think it's too generic. It's more than just a slasher film. It is written and directed by Brian Bertino in his directorial debut, Smashed It Out of the Park. Wow. And it was such a success that it went on to become a Strangers film series. So there is more than one. Now, the plot follows Kristen, Liv Tyler is the main protagonist, and James Scott Speedman, whose stay at a vacation home is disrupted by three masked criminals who infiltrate the home. Mm-hmm. Now, the screenplay was inspired by two real-life events. One, the multiple homicide Manson family tape murders and a series yes. of break-ins that occurred in Bettino's neighbourhood when he was a child. Now, sadly, I can't find any information about those break-ins, but in a minute, folks, I'm going to give you a rundown, a real quick rundown on the Tate murders because you could do a whole like six seasons of a podcast just to do Manson family and Tate murders. Yeah. So I'm going to give you the, the Clift notes. That's a Phoebe friends joke, by the way. It's Cliff notes, but she says Clift. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, some journalists noted similarities between the film and the Keddy cabin murders that also occurred in Keddy, California in 1981, though Bettino did not cite this as a reference. But even if he didn't cite it, I'm going to tell people all about the Keddy cabin murders as well. Keddy cabin, do it. So the movie was made on a budget of $9 million. The film was shot on location in rural South Carolina in the fall of 2006. It was originally slated for a theatrical release in November 2007. It was postponed until May 30th, 2008. Now, it's supposedly the film became a massive sleeper hit, grossing $82 million at the box office Ooh. worldwide. $9 million budget. That's really good. Good return. Yeah, that's a nice return. And this is like just a little bit after Saw and all that sort of stuff. So low budget horror films were a thing. Yeah, they were right in the sweet spot. Yeah, it received mixed reviews from critics with some praising its atmosphere and tension and others criticizing its script and characters. I disagree with all the critics and I say it was amazing. Now, in the years since its release, it has become a 100% cult film. Of course it did because I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's successful exactly and it successfully launched the film series including a sequel entitled the strangers prey at night which was released in 2018 and there is a third film currently slated for production mm. there will be two more films after that as well so so five yeah that is cool a little rundown about the film so Synopsis. Yeah, as you know, Kay, I love, 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 we both love, and we did this like in last week's episode, The Headless Horseman, we love stories that are based in truth. 
Yes, and have a bit of history to them and there's a bit of weight and a bit of substance. Exactly. So, as I said just before, the Tate murders, Manson family murders, were one of the inspirations and a lot of people think the Keddy Cabin murders were also an inspiration. So I'm going to give you a rundown on both of those, folks. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Here we go. Please, everyone, do not hate on me, but the Tate murders, like I said, could go for like six years of podcasting (laughs) we don't got that time so i'm going to give you legitimately the quickest little rundown but if you don't know anything about the tate murders you soon will so on the 9th oh sorry on the on the night of august 8th 1969 tex watson took suzanne atkins linda kasabian and patricia krenwinkel to 1000 no 10000 no 10050 Silo Drive in Benedict Canyon Los Angeles California why you needed the address i don't know but no it's important i can google it now so <laughs> me and numbers are not so great now watson tex watson he claims that charles manson had instructed him to go to the house and totally destroy everyone in it He wanted, Manson wanted him to do things as gruesome as you possibly can to everyone in that house. And Manson also told the women to do whatever Watson instructed them to do. Okay. That doesn't sound very nice. Well, if you know Manson and you know the whole Manson Manson family. He wasn't very nice. M.O. He totally brainwashed all these people and they just followed and did whatever he did. So... Yeah, yeah. Who was in this house? Why did Manson want everyone in this house to die a totally gruesome and horrific death? So the occupants of the house at Celo Drive that evening were movie actress Sharon Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant and the wife of film director Roman Polanski. Mm -hmm. Also problematic. Her friend and former lover Jay Sebring, a noted celebrity hairstylist, and Polanski's friend, I can't even pronounce it, Wolchik Fryovsky, and Fryovsky's girlfriend Abigail Folger, heiress of the Folger's Coffee Fortune and daughter of Peter Folger. Also present on the property were William Garretson, the caretaker, and his friend Stephen Parent. Now, Polanski was in Europe working on a film at the time and music producer Quincy Jones was a friend of Sebring who had planned to join him that evening but luckily did not go. Oh, my gosh. Like these Quincy. Yeah, these are like mega, mega, mega stars. Yeah, yeah. Now, Watson and the three women arrived at Celo Drive just past midnight on August 9th, 1969. Watson climbed a telephone pole near the entrance gate and cut the phone line to the house. Folks, just imagine if you're at home right now, sitting alone, and follow my Mm -hmm. voice, okay? Your phone line's just gone out. The group backed their car to the bottom of the hill that led to the estate and walked back up to the house. They thought that the gate might be electrified or equipped with an alarm, so they climbed a brushy embankment to the right of the gate and entered the grounds. Headlights approached them from within the property and Watson ordered the women to lie in the bushes. He stepped out and ordered the approaching driver to halt. Stephen Parent, the friend of the caretaker, had been visiting the property's caretaker, William Garretson, who lived in the guest house. Now, Watson leveled a .22 caliber revolver, 22 caliber revolver at Parent, who begged him not to hurt him, claiming that he would not say anything. Watson lunged at Parent with a knife, giving him a defensive slash wound on the palm of his hand that severed tendons and tore the boy's watch off his wrist. Then shot him four times in the chest and abdomen, killing him in the front seat of his white 1965 AMC Ambassador Coupe. Great, great question, by the way. Yeah. Watson ordered the women to then help push the car farther up the driveway. Now, Watson next cut the screen of a window, then told Kasabian to keep watch down by the gate. She walked over to Parent's car and waited. 
Watson removed the screen, entered through the window and let Atkins and Krenwinkel in through the front door. He whispered to Atkins and awoke Fryowski, who was sleeping on the living room couch. Watson kicked him in the head and Fryowski, Fryowski, yeah, Fryowski, I'm just going to say it, asked him mm. and who he was, asked him who he was and what was he doing there. Now, Watson replied, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. Now, on Watson's direction, Atkins found the house's, the house's three other occupants with Krenwinkel's help and forced them into the living room. Watson began to tie Tate and Sebring together by their necks with rope, which he had brought, then slung it over one of the living room's ceiling beams. Sebring protested the murderer's rough treatment of the pregnant Tate, so Watson shot him. Folger was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for her purse and she gave the murderers $70. Don't know what that is in today's money, but I'm saying it's just in the hundreds. So yeah, it'd be like three or four hundred bucks, I reckon. And Watson then stabbed Sebring seven times. That's so many times. That's a real effort. Yeah. We all know what stabbing means and da-da-da. It's a certain type of... Yeah. Act. Now, Fryowski's hands had been bound with a towel, but he freed himself and began struggling with Atkins, who stabbed at his legs with a knife. He fought his way out the front door and onto the porch, but Watson caught up with him, struck him over the head with the gun multiple times, stabbed him repeatedly, and shot him twice. Kasabian had heard horrifying sounds and moved toward the house from her position in the driveway. She told Atkins that someone was coming in an attempt to stop the murders. Inside the house, Folger escaped from Krenwinkel and fled out a bedroom door to the pool area. Krenwinkel pursued her and caught her on the front lawn where she stabbed her and tackled her to the ground. Probably tackled her first and then stabbed her, but whatever. Stab, tackle, whatever though. Whatever you feel like at the time. You could probably do it either way. It was like Carmen Electra in Scary Movie where she's running. (laughs) Um, With her big knockers. Can I just say, as you bringing that up, a sidebar for TV tropes, movie tropes, is like 80s films where women just had their knockers out. Can we please bring that back? Like, is that? Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff isn't PC. I don't mean it in a non-PC form, but one of my favourite scenes of all time is in Flying High (laughs) or Airplane, depending on where you're from. And they're all panicking in the airplane fuselage and then someone just comes across the screen and she just jiggles her boobs and naked breasts and then goes off the screen. And I think it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen because it's just so perfect. And I definitely understand all of the sides of the things but that is to me i'm like that's a great trope let's just include that so tackled stabbed i'm sorry to interrupt i was just on a little my brain took a turn no i mean naked gun and all of that was that generation's right and we had we had things like scary movie which are obviously incredibly problematic yeah but i haven't seen that sort of that thing come back that sort of no and i yeah it's just funny. And I think too, because it's like, you know, again, I'm just, I could go down a huge rabbit hole on this and I won't, but I think intention has a lot to do with whether something can be funny or not. Opinion and intention. And that's my two cents and I could go deeper into it, but continue, please. We won't have philosophical Stabby, conversation about no, it. No, we yeah. won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Watson then helped finish her off. Her assailants stabbed her a total of 28 times. Fryowski struggled across the lawn, but Watson continued to stab him and ended up killing him. Fryowski suffered 51 stab wounds and had also been struck 13 times in the head with the butt of Watson's gun, which bent the barrel and broke off one side of the gun grip, which was recovered at the scene. Yeah, the level of violence here was what yeah that's a lot now in the house tate pleaded to be allowed to live long enough to give birth and offered herself as a hostage in attempt to save the life of her unborn child (coughs) 
but both Atkins and Watson stabbed Tate 16 times, killing her. According to Watson, Manson had told the women to leave a sign something witchy. So Atkins wrote pig on the front door in Tate's blood. Atkins claims she did this to copycat the murder scene of Gary Hinman in order to get Manson family member Bobby Boussoulet out of jail who was in custody for the murder. Boussoulet wrote political piggy in Heinemann's blood on his wall after stabbing him to death. Mm. That is a quick wrap up of the actual break in. Like I'm focusing here on yep. the actual strangers breaking into a home, being yeah. home alone, though they weren't alone, but it's that whole intruder so, thing. Absolutely. I have a question. <clears throat> if you have a gate, maybe don't have like a brushy knoll to the right of the gate that someone can just wander through. <laughs> That's I'm just saying yep. as a heads up. If you feel like you need to have a gate on your property for security, don't have something really easily accessible just to the left slash right of said gate that someone can wander through and just hide in there and then go and attack the friend of the caretaker of the house. Just throwing it out there. Just an idea. Yeah. Yeah. But what I like, I don't want to dwell too much on the horror of that it's yeah. like there's so much more to it kate that honestly is such a scratch of the surface but like i said i really wanted to focus in on and really want listeners to really think about what it's like when you're at home and here's the extremes of what yeah. can happen so please don't i don't want to send you into a panic attack no don't get into a tears yeah but that's what this movie was you know Instead of just doing to, yeah, a carbon yeah. copy recreation of the Tate murders or the Keddy Cabin murders, which I'm about to go into, The Strangers, I think, has done kind of like what Psycho did for Bates Motel and everything, because that's also based off of, yeah. um, you know, a loosely based off of a true story. It's capturing the essence of that fear and then recreating into a really, really interesting story. And I just think it's the one of the best movies ever. I can't wait to rewatch it. So that was the Tate murders. Let's get into the Keddie Cabin murders. Keddie with a K. Okay. Keddie with a K. Kind of reminds me, Kate, of that conversation we have with my sister about the Kedder guns, the Kedder dark guns that they have at hospitals. <laughs> Folks, if you did not know this, every hospital probably on the planet has oh my god a secret ketamine dart gun for i don't know if it's secret i just feel like it's not widely publicized but i hope it's a secret i hope it's locked in this hilarious box <laughs> that they need to have two people with keys and they turn them at the same time one two three get a gun released yeah i just think it's the greatest thing in the world and i think it's a secret because it was being kept from me i am so excited and i need to look this up Okay, ketamine. Um, so, for those of you who are playing along, they use them because they sometimes there's kids and adult humans who will not be sedated. They don't do hospitals. They don't do things, and they have to just be <laughs> shot with a ketamine gun to like train them. And it's just to me the funniest concept ever in modern medicine. And what is also funnier is dumb i'll just share this with you but immediately what we thought and that is yeah those are the two pictures that pop up it is a dart gun like a you know metal dart gun and the next picture is someone with a blow dart like a traditional <laughs> blow dart i can just imagine a nurse <laughs> in the corner is. hiding behind the door and just go <laughs> anyway oh god i feel really tired uh, yeah Sorry, what were we even talking about? I got so excited about ketamines. Got to get a ketter. Just giving me Indiana Jones. But mm-hmm. the Keddy Cabin Murders. <coughs> Mervis. <laughs> oh, the Mervis. The Keddy Cabin Mervis. The Keddy Cabin Mervis. <laughs> <laughs> were also supposedly something that inspired the film The Strangers. So what were they? Let's go back in time. To July 
Thank you. I don't have to. Add, that was me going back in. Don't have to add that in on the sound effects. Okay. <laughs> July 1979, Glenna Susan or Sue was her name. Sharp. Uh, she was born in 1945 in Springfield, Massachusetts, along with her five children. Left her home in Connecticut after separating from her abusive husband James Sharp. She decided to relocate to Northern California where her brother Don was residing at the time. Now, upon arriving in California, she began renting a small trailer formerly occupied by her brother at the Claremont Trailer Village in Quincy. The following fall, she moved to house number 28 in the rural Sierra Nevada resort town of Keddie. Now the house was much larger than the trailer and she became and had become available when Plumas County's then sheriff Sylvester Douglas Thomas moved out. There she resided with her 15-year-old son John, 14-year-old daughter Sheila. Oh, Shaz. Gonna call her Shaz. Hello, Sheila. 12-year-old daughter Tina. Oh, another one. Tina Sparkle. Sheila and Tina. And two younger sons, Rick and Greg. Now, on April 11th, 1981, which is only a few days shy of when my sister was born, at around mm-hmm. 11.30 a.m., Sue, Shazza and Greg drove from the residence of their friends, the Meeks family, to pick up Rick who was attending baseball tryouts at Ganza Field in Quincy. Now they happened upon John and his friend Dana Hall Wingate hitchhiking at the mouth of the canyon from Quincy to Keddy and they picked them up then driving about six miles away to Keddy. Two hours later at around 3.30 p.m. John and Dana hitchhiked back to Quincy where they may have had plans to visit friends. And around this time, the two were seen in the city's downtown area. Just keep these details in mind, Kate. Mm-hmm. That same evening, Shazza had plans to spend the night with the Seabolt family who lived in an adjacent home, while Sue remained at home with Rick, Greg and the boy's young friend, Justin Smart. Now, Shazza departed house number 28 shortly after 8 p.m., leaving her mother alone with the younger children and Tina Sparkle, it's not, (laughs) who had been watching television at the Seabolt residence returned home to number 28 at around 9.30 p.m. after Shazza arrived at the Seabolts to spend the night. So what happened? I mean, obviously we know. What happened? What happened? Now, around 7 a.m. on the morning of April 12th, Sheila returned to number 28 and discovered the dead bodies of Sue, John, and Dana in the house's living room. Oh, God. All three had been bound with medical tape and electrical cords. Tina was absent from the home, while the three younger children, Rick, Greg, and Justin, were unharmed in an adjacent bedroom. Just imagine that. Yeah, okay. Now, initial reports stated that the three young boys had slept through the entire incident, though this was later contradicted. Upon That would be, I would wake up. Yeah. Would you wake up? Yeah. I would wake up. They were under the age of 10, so. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, let's just hear the rest of the story, Kate. I'm just going to pour it (laughs) I've just realised I'm just pouring another wine, but it sounds suspiciously like I'm just going to the toilet. <laughs> That's all right. We'll leave that in. Oh, hang on. Prostate. <laughs> squeak, squeak. <laughs> shake, shake it out, Kate. <laughs> shake it out. Sorry. Continue. Now, upon discovering the scene, Shazza rushed back to the Seabolt's house, whereupon Jamie Seabolt retrieved Rick, Greg and Justin through the bedroom window. Mm-hmm. I have to give Jamie or Jamey a like a pat on the back here. Do not disrupt the scene. You know, perfect. perfect. Get them out the yeah, window. That's actually so. Do you know what? And in a circumstance of that, where it's so horrible and just like horrendous and terrifying, you don't to have that sound mind to be like, no, guys, do not walk through 
the trails of evidence. Let's go through the window. Yeah, spare these young kids who supposedly yeah. don't know what's happened. Any yeah. of the grief of having to see the scene themselves as well. Any of that. Get them out the yep. window. Now, Handy he later admitted to having briefly entered the home through the back door to see if anyone was still alive, potentially contaminating evidence in the process. So, But look, fair enough, though. Like, you, you know, you do want to say, what's, what are you going to go? Just assume that everyone's dead. Yeah, but at least he stopped himself like, you know, it's something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, the murders of Sue, John and Dana were notably vicious. So two bloodied knives and one hammer were found at the scene. And one of the knives, which was a steak knife later determined to have been used in the murders, had been bent at roughly 30 degrees. Whoa. That's how violent the stabbing was. That's some pretty hectic stabby stabs. Now, blood spatter evidence from inside the house, which blood spatter evidence, let's just Keep the question mark over that one, folks, because we all know how mm-hmm. lay dodge that can be used. But still, it indicated that the murders of Sue, John and Dana had all taken place in the living room. Sue was discovered lying on her side near the living room sofa, nude from the waist down and gagged with a blue bandana and her own underwear, which had been secured with tape. She had been stabbed in the chest Her throat was stabbed horizontally, the wound going through her larynx and nicking her spine. Ooh, that's some force. Okay. And on the side of her head was an imprint matching the butt of a Daisy 880 Powerline BB pellet rifle. Mm. So whoever this person is gone above and beyond, right? It's not... Someone's dead. You don't need to do all these things, right? It's like John's John's throat was slashed as well. And Dana had multiple head injuries and had been manually strangled to death. Mm. John and Dana suffered blunt force trauma to their heads caused by a hammer or hammers. And autopsies determined that Sue and John died from the knife wounds and the blunt force trauma and Dana had died by asphyxiation. So whoever this person is, is literally just, I'm just, they're going to like do everything. What haven't we done? Carte blanche. It's a smorgasbord of murder. It's horrid. It's just horrendous. Now, Sheila or Shazza, as I like to call her, to try and lighten the mood, And the Seabolt family, with whom Shaz had spent the night in the neighbouring home, heard no commotion during the night. A couple living in nearby house number 16 was awakened at 1.15am by what sounded like muffled screaming. Mm -hmm. How many times, Kate, do we have to say it? If you hear something, say something. Do you know what, though? It is super tricky because there has been heaps of times where I've been in bed and I was like, was that something... Like, was that a thing? Was that a garbage bin being taken out? Or was that like a, someone yelled, at what point is it too, like, yeah, where do you, where do you, like, where's the line? Oh, sure. When do you call someone? If you're not sure. But do you know what I do? Can I tell you my little trick? What is it? I always, if I think that I hear something that's sus, I look at the clock and I'm like, what time is it precisely? And so I'm like, I've heard a noise. It's 10.34 p.m. So then when the coppers come a knock in the next day and detectives like yeah, SVUs and stuff, I can be like, yes, at precisely 10.34 p.m. at night, I heard a disturbing sound. I didn't call anyone, but I heard it. And I'd like you to put it in your diary because I think it's meaningful. <laughs> All right. That's how I speak to the police. The Dowager Countess of... <laughs> Thank you for visiting my property. In I would like to report a murder. In Vermont South. In Vermont South. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Tina's jacket, shoes and a toolbox containing various tools were missing from the house, which showed no indication of forced entry. The house's telephone had been taken off the hook and the cord cut from the outlet and the drapes were closed. Martin Smart, a neighbour and main suspect, claimed that a claw hammer had inexplicably gone missing from his home. 
Now, Plumas County Sheriff Sylvester Thomas, who presided over the case, later stated that Martin had provided endless clues in the case that seemed to throw the suspicion, uh, suspicion away from him. Okay. In addition to interviewing the Smarts, detectives interviewed numerous other locals and neighbours, several including members of the Seabolt family, recalled seeing a green van parked at the Sharps house around 9pm. Now, Justin gave conflicting stories of the evening. Justin was one of the boys in the room. Yep. Including that he had dreamed details of the murders, though he later claimed to have actually witnessed them. In his later account of events, told under hypnosis, again problematic, he claimed mm. to have awoken to sounds coming from the living room while asleep in the bedroom with Rick and Greg. Investigating these sounds, he saw Sue with two men, one with a moustache and short hair, the other clean-shaven with long hair. Both of them were wearing glasses. Now, according to Justin, John and Dana then entered the home and began heatedly arguing with the men. A fight ensued, after which Tina entered the room and was taken out of the cabin's back door by one of the men. Now, based on Justin's descriptions, composite sketches of the two unknown men were produced by Harlan Embry, a man with no artistic ability and no training in forensic sketching. More problems. It was... <laughs> Just stack them yep, up. Stack them up the probs. It was never explained why, with the access to the Justice Department's and the Federal Bureau of Investigation's top forensic artists... Law enforcement chose to use an amateur who sometimes volunteered to help local police. In press releases accompanying the sketches, the suspects were described as being in their late 20s to early 30s. One stood between 5 feet 11 inches to 6 feet 2 inches, tall with dark blonde hair, and the other between 5, inches, 5 feet 6 inches and 5 feet 10 inches with black greased hair. Both of them were, wore gold-framed sunglasses. Now, rumours regarding the crimes being ritualistic or motivated by drug trafficking were dismissed by Plymouth County Sheriff Doug Thomas, who stated in the week following the murders that no drug paraphernalia or illegal drugs were found in the home. Carla McMullen, a family acquaintance, later told detectives that Dana Wingate had recently stolen an unknown quantity of LSD from local drug dealers, though she was unable to provide proof of this claim. She didn't have any ketamine, Doug. Sure. <laughs> Good. What is this? <laughs> Dunk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, not again. Not again. Stop shooting me with the darts. Don't even practice on me, but practice on me. Yeah, right, right in the neck. <laughs> now, about 4,000 man hours. Why has it got to be men? About 4,000 people hours. <laughs> people hours? Heck yeah. Was spent working the case, which Thomas described as frustrating. And in December 1983, so two years after, detectives ruled out serial killers Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole as potential suspects. If you don't know Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, I'll save that for another day, folks, because that's a whole other... It's a whole other episode, guys. It's triggering. Oof. They're rough. Yeah. Now, updates. <clears throat> Update. Remember, Tina. We never saw Tina again. Tina. Tina Sparkle. Tina's disappearance was initially investigated by the FBI as a possible abduction, though it was reported on April 29th, 1981, just a few days after, that the FBI had backed off the search as the California State Department of Justice was doing an adequate job and made the FBI's presence unnecessary. Somehow I find all of that completely not true. This is the 80s and missing people was just not done well back then. A grid pattern search of the area covering a five mile or eight kilometer radius around the house was conducted with police canines, but the efforts were fruitless. Now, three years later, April 22nd, 1984, which is exactly three years and 11 days after the murders, a bottle collector discovered the cranium portion of a human skull and part of a mandible at Camp 18 near Feather Falls in neighboring Butt County. It was roughly 100 miles or 160 kilometers from Keddie. 
shortly after announcing the discovery, the Butt County Sheriff's Office, I just love that it's Butt County, <laughs> received an anonymous call, call that identified the remains as belonging to Tina. An anonymous call. Every time they get an anonymous call, it's just like, what? It was Tina Sparkle. But the call was not actually documented in the case. Ugh. Could have done so much with that. Now, a recording of this call was found at the bottom of an evidence box at some point after 2013 by a deputy who was assigned the case. So we're talking, we're talking like... 30 years later, folks. Five million years later. Now, give or yeah, take. Now, the remains were confirmed by a forensic pathologist to be those of Tina in June 1984. Tina, eat your food, you fat lord. <laughs> That's from Napoleon Dynamite, yeah. and it's just been in my head, and I had to get it okay. out. Okay. Now, near the remains, detectives also discovered a blue nylon jacket a blanket, a pair of Levi Strauss jeans with a missing back pocket and an empty medical tape dispenser, which we all know was used to bind people up at the original, you know, site. Now, yeah. subsequent developments. The house in which the murders occurred was demolished in 2004. In a 2008 documentary on the murders, Marilyn Smart claimed that she suspected her husband Martin and his friend John Bo Bubidi, erroneously reported as John Booty, by author Ooh, John Booty. by author Robert Scott. She thought they were responsible for the murders. Imagine thinking your husband was responsible. Ugh, little. Yeah. Now Marilyn claimed that on the evening of April 11th, 1981. She had left Martin and Babude at a local bar at 11 p.m. and returned home to go to sleep. At around 2 a.m. on April 12th, she stated she awoke to find the two burning an unknown item in the wood stove. Additionally, she alleged that Martin hated Johnny Sharp with an absolute passion. However, in the 2008 documentary, Sheriff Doug Thomas said he had personally interviewed Martin and that he had passed a polygraph examination. Because that means shit. Mm. According, That's all pointed. Yeah. Now, according to 2016 article published by the Sacramento Bee, Martin had left Keddie and driven to Reno, Nevada shortly after the murders. From there, he sent a letter to Marilyn ruminating on personal struggles in their marriage, which he concluded with, I've paid the price of your love and now I've bought it with four people's lives. <laughs> Ugh. Something to put in a letter, hey? Like, come on, that's pretty incriminating. Now, yeah. now, in a 2016 interview, Gamberg stated that the letter was overlooked in the initial investigation and never admitted as evidence, as always. He later criticised the quality of the initial investigation, saying, you could take someone just coming out of the academy and they'd have done a better job. A counsellor who Martin regularly visited also alleged that he had admitted to the murders of Sue and Tina, but claimed... I didn't have anything to do with the boys. He allegedly told the counsellor that Tina was killed to prevent her from identifying him as she had witnessed the whole thing. Now, Martin Smart died of cancer in Portland, Oregon in June 2000. John Bubudi, who allegedly had ties to organised crime in Chicago, died there in 1988. And on March 24th, 2016, a hammer matching the description of the hammer Martin claimed to have lost was discovered in a local pond and taken into evidence by Plumas County Special Investigator Mike Gamberg. Plumas County Sheriff Hagwood, who was 16 years old at the time of the murders and knew the Sharp family personally, stated the location it was found, it would have been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. 
Gamberg also stated that at the time six potential suspects were being examined. And in April 2018, Gamberg stated that DNA evidence recovered from a piece of tape at the crime scene matched that of a known living suspect. And on that little murder mystery, folks, the the case is supposedly, as far as I've been able to find, still alive and well. And, you know, it sounds pretty, you know, it sounds pretty damning of Martin Smart Mm. and maybe not his friend, but whatever. But the fact that they've found DNA evidence from at least some of the well-kept yeah. Stuff from, from the murder of a known living suspect is so fascinating to me. So put that one in your pockets, folks, because who knows, maybe one day soon we may have an actual solution we'll to that. But Kate, yeah, exactly. that is the yep. end of my episode on all things fear-based of being alone at home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh. Spooks, 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 spooks. Auto Thank you so much. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. I mean, I don't love it. Like, I don't love that now that I'm just going to switch off from this and go and sit in my lounge room on my own. Thank you. (laughs) I'm sorry, Kate. No, not at all. I'm going to go and watch something cute and fun. Yes. Do that, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Highly recommend. Thank you so much, Dom. That was so cool and nice. And, well, I mean, no, it wasn't either of those things. But in the sense of, like, your storytelling is, and I love it, but the story itself is... It's spooky. And lock your doors. Yes. That's all I want to say. Lock your doors. But we are going to be back next week. We sure will. And the week after. And we are working our little booties off prior to Chrissy. So you might hear some of, well, not this one, but episodes coming up. We're doing some double recordings. We're making sure that you have fresh, cool content because where all the other podcasts are going to be going, here's just a, you know, recap episode that we did. We were toying with that idea. We were going to do it, but we thought, nope, why don't we just bust our little heinies and we're going to give you fresh stories, fresh eps, fresh everything, fresh to death. Well read, well bred, well fed. That's what we always say here at this podcast. And I will be one of those people. <laughs> yes. Thank you for, for sticking around and listening. Uh, if this oh, is the last I just also yeah, go. I'm sorry to interrupt I just wanted to be really clear because when I listen to this back there's a possibility that I won't know what is going on because I have had a bottle uh, no I've had half a bottle of wine okay <laughs> I've had half a bottle of wine and I'm just on my own planet so thank you all for being a part of this journey <laughs> it is the season Kate it's Tuesday night. Oh, two bottle Tuesday. That's what Chelsea says. Two bottle Tuesday. Stay safe, folks. Lock your doors. Please do. I love you all. I'll dry out before next step. Love, love, love. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Lizzie, crack another bottle, doll. <laughs> Lizzie. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.